time, the whole thing was shadowing us, right behind us, right on the side of us. You, you, you could kind of see the thing moving through the woods. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, and the whole night, this isn't a man. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Went to look forward, and there was a big black face. Squatch DTV, exploring the Bigfoot mystery each week with your hosts, veteran researcher, author, and TV personality, the Squatch Detective, Steve Culls, and from the Bigfoot Research Project of Kentucky, Chris Bennett. Sit back and buckle up as we bring you guests from around North America discussing the Bigfoot phenomena, but not without a few laughs, too. Here are your hosts, Steve and Chris. And good evening, cyberspace. Welcome to a delayed Squatch DTV for today's date, January 30th, 2022. I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective Steve Coles. Well, my co-host is out sick today, so we have a special treat with us. Tonight, we have our good friend from Western New York, Bigfoot investigation group mr joe snyder hello joe thanks for playing back up tonight well thank you for asking me man it's always fun to be here hope chris gets to feeling better soon i know he was a little under the weather last week so yeah you know uh he he actually about a couple hours before the show he said listen is it okay if i bet i'm feeling horrible no go ahead you know you gotta take care of yourself (laughs) so so uh joe no snow huh Oh, right. Yeah. No, lots of snow. I, I, I feel sorry for our <laughs> brethren on the Northeast Coast in the New England. Uh, they are definitely oh, they're uh, getting dumped on. Yeah. Hammered in the wind and ugh, horrible, yeah. horrible. But yeah. we have a heck of a show lined up for you tonight. Um, I'll, I'll get into it more in a second. But right now, let's do the roll call in the house first tonight. The one, the only low rider. Good evening, low rider. Second in the house was B. Lynn. B, good to see you. 
Bigfoot New York Todd is in the house. Lester Taylor. DM Zabo is in the house. Brian49, welcome. And uh, thank you, Brian. Brian uh, threw in uh, a 999 donation. We appreciate that. That helps. Uh, you know, like I said, that every bit helps uh, fund this network. Um, Gary Johnson, hello. Uh, Gary saying, just being a newbie. Well, welcome. And uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, oh, there's Joe, and there's me, and there's B, and there's Lester again. And uh, Gary Johnson's in the house, Mr. Eyes. Miss. Sasquatch. What? Miss. My oh, eyes. Are the, My eyes. I, I apologize. I you know, my eyes, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, Sas- I go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. Sasquatch wizards, Adirondacks. Arthur is in the house. Arthur. Hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Harry. Uh, oh, Nikki's in the house with Harry man. Hoodwinks and hoaxes. Yeah. Jay up. Fritz. Good to see you, Jay. Getting down the line here a bit more. Lance Windsor. Hello, Lance. Bigfoot Society. Hello. Good to see you. John Nick something. Uncle Bones, too. Ammon Chris. Who's ah? Uh, Bob Lemley. He's out there. And Hello, Bob. who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, not, uh, Nottingham Yankees is in the house. Hello from across the pond. Good to see you. Lockbeard's in the house. Uh, let's see. Uh-oh, there's trouble. Jerry's in the house and Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Good to see you out there if you're watching. Uh, let's see. Who else? Jen. Hello, Jen. Welcome. Hey, Jen. Raptor crazy. Raptor. Brian McMahon. Good to see you, Brian, again. And, uh, and of course, our good friend, Aaron. Good to see you. And uh, first of all, I want to wish everybody that, that hopped on this week and wished me a happy birthday over there on the Facebook uh, good God, it, it took me an hour and a half to say thank you to everybody that wished me, but I tried to get everybody that wished me a happy birthday and uh, it's really appreciated. It's humbling and, uh, you know, it made my day. So I appreciate every happy birthday wish. So Joe, you have any news, anything to report on tonight? Um, no, not really, man. Um, I'm Go looking ahead. forward to this spring. Well, I would agree with that. So, um, we have, uh, we, you know, unfortunately, Chris isn't here to appreciate this, but I know there's some in the chat that will. And, uh, oh, I think you just muted yourself. Well, Nope. Still can't hear you. Oh, no. This is the night for issues. Steve will get it worked out, folks. Well, 
Now you're muted. I can see the mute thing. Now, now you're still on mute. Yeah, you're still showing muted. Well, hello, folks. I guess it's all on me right now. <laughs> Boy, talk about being put on a spot. All right, yeah, he's having a little bit of, of tonight of all nights, man. I was looking forward, uh, looking forward to uh, this one, especially because of John Green. Uh, Donald, tell us how I survived the Edmunds Fitzgerald drink sinking, drinking, sinking. Well, wasn't easy, man. But I just washed up on the shore, and you know. Yeah, oh, I'm sure Steve will get it all figured out here in a, in a minute or two. Because this is going to be kind of rough for me to hold down Squatch TV. I got nothing. I don't have any John Green. I never got to meet John Green. Uh, unfortunately, I would have loved to have met him. Uh, but uh, never got to meet him in person. Had his books. I've got one still. I've got the Apes Among Us, of course. But, um, yeah. He sent me a letter one time. I wrote him a letter when I was a kid. <clears throat> I think it might have been about 15 or 16. And I wrote him a letter. I wasn't expecting any answers back, but <clears throat> he actually, uh, actually answered my letter. And I had that uh, in the original book. Uh, when I had uh, Apes Among Us, I had that letter stuck in uh, that book for for years, and uh, I had a a basement in our fire, or a, a basement. <laughs> I'm not even drinking, folks. I had a fire in my basement. Whew. I think you guys, everybody out there, knows that I've already explained. I've got this thing where everything comes into my head all at once and sometimes it's hard for me to say things the right way that's that's one example you just saw just right there but uh but yeah we had a fire in my in my basement uh when i lived in virginia and it burnt up every single book uh between me and my wife we had a bunch of books we had a huge library down there and that original got burnt up in the fire so i had to buy a copy a new and that's the copy i have now but yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wish Gary could, but uh he can't drive. Uh he doesn't have a license. Um so um yeah. Uh, or I'd get him to go over and and help Steve fix his mic. Uh what else? 
Either way, you look cool, dude. <laughs> well, you know, that's my freak flag, man. You know, I come from the era where one of the biggest uh, sayings was, you let your freak flag fly, man. Just let your freak flag fly. Still hold of that. Let your freak flag fly, whoever you are. Mine happens to be, I'm the man of many looks. <laughs> you never know how I'm going to look when I come out on camera. That's my thing. Do I own a Harley? No, I don't, man. I wish, you know, I wish I could. I'll tell you the truth. I've only ridden a motorcycle once in my life, and it was a, it was a fiasco, really. It was when I was very young. I hung out with a lot of bikers growing up, you know, in, in my younger years, I, but I'd never rode a bike. If I were to ride one, I would love to be able to afford a Harley. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Tell us my favorite Steve Cole story. Is that, I believe that's who you mean by Steve K. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of. I mean, I, I I like a lot of the stuff that he's told me. I mean, and you guys have seen it as well as I have. I mean, um, so you know, I'm a little worried about going out with him this spring. I'm probably going to get rocks thrown at me because it seems like every time somebody goes out with steve it can be a different person it's like oh they get a rock thrown at them in that area that they were in <laughs> but actually i would like to experience that i would like to experience that out there have something happen yeah <sighs> gary's mean mugging me <laughs> no. gary wouldn't mean mug me gary's cool Raptor looks like the biker image. I don't know, but yeah, I guess you could call. This is this is my biker mood. Yeah, I, someday I might be the sea captain. Some days I'm the biker. I can be a cowboy. I've never been a cowboy, but um, I could dress like a cowboy. I've got I've got western wear. Yeah. I'm like uh, Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther, man. I'm like, there are all kinds of different outfits. <laughs> so my wife always says that I like to wear costumes. That's what she calls them. She says I like to wear costumes. Hi, Sharon. How you doing? I'm trying to hold down the show. This Boy, this isn't easy. Um, stepping into Steve Cole's shoes, man. Those are some big shoes to fill i can't do it um but i'm sure he's gonna work it out we're still alive as far as i can see and i swear to god folks that are coming in this is squatch dtv um it's not my uh you're not watching uh new york sasquatch live or Sat squatch speaks or the other one that i did last friday no. this is Coles. we are going to I'll be uh, checking out an interview that he did with John Green. I'm really excited about that. I wanted to like kick back and and, and watch it with him, man, because I really admire John Green. I mean, so that's uh, something, and I'm sure he'll get it worked out. I know if, if I know Steve, Steve never gives up, man, until he gives gets it worked out. 
So who has in the chat has um, any of John Green's books? Joe, am I okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, Sharon. Thanks for asking. Oh, what? Oh, my eyes. Uh, says it's okay to tell us a behind the scenes story of when you went out with Steve's group. Um, well, so far, I've only been fortunate enough to actually go out once. That was when he originally, when I um, got to meet him face to face. I mean, I've known Steve, you know, from an online standpoint for a while, but uh, finally got to meet him in person at the Whitehall uh, last year. So, uh, and then we went out uh one night after whitehall and uh wasn't wasn't anything that really happened but um it was a it was a fun time it was in an area where you know was activity in that area in the past and pretty close to some of the areas where steve has has had activity so we thought we'd go out and check it out i mean i you know i could have heard something that was like a rock clack but there was a river there um so it could have been a lot of other things but yeah so but it was fun it was cool you know i mean and sometimes that's the fun of it you know just thinking and i'm not saying go out there with your brain primed i'm not saying that at all but it is fun going out to these places thinking that maybe something might happen but if you know sometimes if nothing happens which that happens a lot of times when you go out in areas even areas that are supposed to be active sometimes you go out there nothing happens nothing happens you don't get any kind of knocks or whistles or nothing sometimes you know happens a lot happens a lot to me when i go into the area where i have my encounter i haven't seen hiding or hair of that or heard anything you know i've heard one thing and i don't know what it is and that's why i filed it away because uh, i can't explain what it is um but that's what happens. So, but yeah, has anybody got any? Uh, has anybody got any uh, of John John Green's books? Like I said, I have Apes Among Us. I, I have to get some other. He's 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 written a couple others too. So, I got to get those back. Bigfoot Okanagan. I'm losing my mind. What show is on? It's Steve Calls, man. He's having some issues with his mic and he's having technical issues. He's trying to get it solved. He's trying to get it solved, folks. Don't panic. Don't panic. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to hold this down to the, you know. So talking about John Green. And I know, you know, Thomas uh Steinberg, one of my you know, favorite guys in the world, man, when it comes to Bigfoot. Uh you know, he knew these guys, you know, he knew John Green, you know, and uh, you know, I'm a little jealous, I think, because I wish I'd have been able to. I mean, I was on the opposite coast, you know, I mean, so I didn't really have an opportunity to actually meet these guys. Whereas, you know, some of the guys that are that are the ones that we all go to now um, and Thomas is one of the last ones left, um, you know. They, they they were on the right side of the continent at the time that was all happening. And uh, I think it's cool that uh, he got to uh, know and, and, and work with uh, people like John Green and 
Rennie DeHinden and uh, those guys. You know, be kind of cool to have known them. I wish I'd have gotten to know uh, Bender Noggle too. If I'd have gotten to meet Doctor Bender Noggle, that would have been awesome. He's a really nice guy. I watched everything he ever did online. So, Apes Among Us is a cool book. Um, so, if, if anybody that does not have that book, you should get it if you're that interested in uh, Sasquatch. If you're really interested and you want to see what, if you read that book, um, it's all about people seeing Sasquatch and different accounts of it. And it's you see a lot of very similar threads. Uh, running through uh, all of those encounters. And uh, if I'm correct, I think John only wrote about the ones that he considered, uh, you know, genuine, I think. I don't think he ever, you know, he wouldn't put one and he was like, no, there's no way. You know, Bigfoot disappeared in a portal. Huh. So Sasquatch heard a knock. Yeah, here, I mean, right now here in New York, um, depending on where I was, there's a big possibility of uh, you're going to hear freezes, uh, trees uh, popping uh, in the cold. Uh oh, uh oh. Who's got a wrench? B. Lynn, get rid of the uh, the bot down there. Oh, yeah, get rid of that bot. But uh, yeah, oh uh, guys, <laughs> somebody keep me active here. We got a bot. Um, get rid of that, please. Whatever that says, I can't even tell. I don't even know what language that is. Oh, uh, off subject. Is that an authentic tour poster of the doors? Um, oops, wrong side. Sorry, I'm reversed. Um, as far as I know, yes, it, it is. As far as I know, um, I got it in, um, old vintage, uh, record shop. Um, trying to where, remember where I was. Oh, I think Steve's coming back on. Are you back? Okay, so I don't know what's going on oh. with this this system. Uh, I, I don't know if this is an internet issue um, or not. Wow. Uh, because my Alexas have not worked for like on and off for the last hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have internet connection, so I'm not quite sure 
if they're having an issue too. So I'm not really sure what is checking out. I am going to try one thing and one thing only. Ah, see, now we can't hear you. Okay, so now he's figured out what's going on. So um, that's cool. Uh, B. Lynn, uh, for my ideal Sasquatch hunt, where would I go and who's in my group? Um, well, I got to tell you, man, I mean, it's going to be here in New York. Um, and it would probably be ideal. I mean, I'd like to be in the Adirondacks a lot more because I just know that there's more activity there because I believe that there's more of a population in Adirondacks than any other part of New York State. I don't think where I go, I, I don't know. I have nothing to judge the population size, but I've only seen one, and I haven't seen one since. Um, so an uh, ideal spot would be uh, probably some of those places that uh, in the Adirondacks where Steve has been having activity. And, of course, Steve would be uh, uh, in the group. Um, I would probably want to have Mike uh, from Tactical Bigfoot Research along on that. Um, let's see who else. I would love it if Brent, like from the Tall Ones, would be there. Um, I think I put him in that group, hopefully. Um, you know, a lot of these guys that I know, like... Uh, Leon, I would love Leon to be able to be in that group, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of different people. I could I could name off a lot of different people I would love to have uh, investigate some areas with me here. Um, but, yeah, um, even uh, New York Bigfoot Society with Gary, my buddy Gary Hootenholler, um, you know. Uh, I like to go in, in, into the places where so yeah new york yeah i mean don't get me wrong i would love to go out to some of the places in the northwest you know pacific northwest be awesome you know um but my ideal place is here at home because that's my whole thing is investigating um uh, sightings you know and occurrences of sasquatch in new york state so um that's my thing so um, yeah, Donald Fuller. <laughs> You're never going to let me live it down, man. Well, you know, the old sea captain look ain't going away anytime soon, Donald. So you just keep on singing. Hey, the record ends with Fitzgerald is a good song. I never learned all the words to it. Never, ever. Because it's such a long song. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, uh, Leon, Bigfoot Okanagan. Uh, Matt, yeah, I would I would love to have Matt come up uh, from Central Florida Bigfoot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Take him to the Adirondacks because there's no Bigfoot in Florida. So if he has a chance of seeing one, it's going to be up here. <laughs> well, I tease him. I don't know if there's Bigfoot in Florida or not. There could be, I suppose. I mean, they're everywhere else in places. But, I, you know, I go to... You know, places where it's like compared to where wherever there's black bear, 
populations that you could possibly have bigfoot you know and i don't know maybe a freaking swamp ape is different than a bigfoot i i have no idea i can't i can't speak with authority on that but <clears throat> i like to tease him there's no bigfoot in florida i tease pat there's no bigfoot in georgia either but i think there could be bigfoot in georgia Okay, so now we're back until we get back and we see what Steve comes up with. Uh, you and Lester are doing a duet, a duet Donald. <laughs> cool. Uh, uh oh. Nikki's saying Rams for the win. Okay. Uh oh. Leon has a question. Joe, what is the pick to your left with the dog and Oh, that's oh that's actually my dog, Leon. That's Sally, my dog. Uh in a Starfleet uniform, and that's the Enterprise above her. Yeah. My wife had that painting done for me for it was a gift for I think it was Christmas. Yeah, so that's my dog in a Starfleet uniform. She's a Starfleet captain. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah, I got a certificate out in the kitchen hanging by the door uh, that says I'm a Scottish lord now. You know, we're Lord and Lady Snyder, me and my wife, because we have a a little piece of land in Scotland now, so... That makes me a laird, a.k.a. a lord, yeah, because I own a little, I don't know, I think it's two foot by two foot piece of land in Scotland, yeah. Yeah, got that as a gift, too, so, you know, you just refer to me as Lord Joseph. <laughs> There's my nickname. Brent was saying before on Nikki's show, we all need to come up with cool nicknames. I'll be Lord Satch Squatch. Bigfoot moved out of Vermont, Donald. So they've been all over looking. There are none. Maybe they're just good at hiding from you. I don't know. I haven't been to Vermont yet. I have not been. In fact, I don't. Have I ever been to Vermont? I've been all over the United States, but. I haven't been to all of the states. I've been a, through a lot of them, and I've been to a lot of them to visit, but aha, we're back. Okay. okay. So I figured out what the problem is. Uh, I got a new keyboard to install a soundboard, and for some reason, and it's not supposed to work this way, it worked fine in practice sessions, but I hit one of the macro keys, which will play the sound effect, and for whatever reason, it's just cutting every, it's shutting everything down. Oh, so I have okay. no idea what's going on. So that's twice now I've hit that key and twice it went out. So, uh, but I think uh, we can survive without it. I just, if, I hope I don't accidentally hit one of the, but <laughs> if this is the case, if this continues to be the problem, uh, what's going to end up happening is 
this keyboard's going back, which is a shame because it's all Logitech and Logitech right. is supposed to be the best. And, you know, yeah. it's really easy to program and, you know, it, I can hear it in here, but you can't hear me for whatever reason. It's muting the microphone, but huh. it's not showing me. The funny thing is it's not showing me. Uh -huh. On StreamYard, my mic is muted. And then all right. of a sudden, I get the message that my devices have been disconnected. So there must be some sort of glitch there. And uh, hopefully, I'll have that fixed by next week. Uh, if not, the keyboard's going back, and it's getting junked. <laughs> I got um, confidence in you. You'll figure it all out, man. Boy, that is so f annoying. and I'm beyond I frustrated know. right now. Absolutely. I get it. <laughs> beyond frustrated. And in the process of this, I seem to have put my hat down, and I don't know where it is. So, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's get into what we were supposed to talk to tonight, now that I'm completely off course and a little bit aggravated. But many years ago, when I, when I started this show, it was uh, January of 2007, Joe, when I interviewed John Green. Uh, you know, and uh, at the time... Even then, John Green was a little bit, uh, his voice was a little bit shaky. Um, you know, uh, he, I noticed, uh, you know, he, he really had some, some, uh, some uh, language uh, trouble every once in a while. Very still, very articulate, still very well spoken. Yeah. Um, but what I ended up doing was taking the, the, most of the interview and um, remastering it mm -hmm. uh, because blog talk had terrible audio, terrible audio. And uh, so we remastered the, the audio a bit and uh, we took out some of the, we edited some of the content. So if there was uh, some, some delays in him speaking or anything like that um, or trying to, you know, have issues formulating, because it would take him a little few seconds to, we all get older. It happens. I hey, do that age, all the time. Man. It's yeah. age. It's <laughs> age. So we we've we we've made him, I think, sound twenty years younger than he was. So uh, and that that was yeah, a cool good. thing. Yeah. But uh, for those who who don't know, John Green uh, was born in nineteen twenty seven in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, he uh, received a master's degree uh, in journalism from Columbia University in New York in nineteen forty seven. Uh, he was married in 1948. He lived in Toronto, Vancouver, and Victoria before moving to the Agassiz, Harrison, British Columbia area where, you know, he raised his children and published uh, the local newspaper for many years. Um, he settled in 1954 in Agassiz. Um, in 1963, believe it or not, he was elected mayor of the village of Harrison Hot Springs. And while mayor, he was responsible for the construction of the Harrison Lakefront Beach, where he spearheaded the World Championship Sam Sculpture competition for many years. So he had a lot of things outside of the Bigfoot world. Yeah. Uh, in 1972, he sold the local paper to pursue his Sasquatch research and interest in writing publications. And I would assume by that age, it's time, you know, I'm going to, you know, scale back. Um, Green loved history and the passion drived him to be a champion of the Kilby historic site by funding founding the Kilby Historical Society in 1973. Later, the Fraser Heritage Society was formed where he continued to donate not only his time, but funds to go towards the maintenance of the site. 
In total, he was a board member for over 40 years. So uh, Mr. Green was honored in 2000 as uh, British Columbia Senior of the Year for his volunteerism in many community groups, including the Chamber of Commerce, Senior Citizens Housing, the Harrison Hot Springs Fire Department, the Boy Scouts, the Search and Rescue Club, and the Lions Club. So a very active uh, member of society, very articulate man, very well well uh spoken and um so you know well if you listen to some of the well you know one of the only ones that's left now with us thomas steenberg again i'm always bringing up his name always dropping his name it seems like but it always seems to me to come back to steenberg when especially when you're talking about this stuff uh i think uh actually john green i mean he was a journalist and he wrote a lot of other books too and he did with the paper and the news. From what I understand, he originally wasn't even really interested in the Bigfoot thing. He kind of had to be drawn into it. And then eventually he was when somebody probably finally convinced him, hey, John, there's something to this, man. And then he was like, yeah, I guess you are. And then he went on from there. But yeah, you're going to um, you will you will see uh, uh one of the first questions I ask is, and I, and this was something I did since the beginning was how did you get into this business? Mm-hmm. So, um, our, we have a ton of, uh, audio clips tonight cool. uh, from that interview. And, uh, and, uh, w- that's a great segue to start how John got started. Check it out. This is, this is part one of the interview. The term Sasquatch says, been around for about 30 years or so by that time and this just in pretty well just in British Columbia although there had been one major article in England and another one all across Canada a man named J.W. Burns who was an Indian agent and school teacher at the Indian Reserve near where I now live writing articles and during the years when I was growing up I was aware of the subject but uh, wasn't doing anything about it. And then I bought the local newspaper in, in that same area. You know, again, I, I knew this was where the stories came from, but I wasn't involved with it at that time. It wasn't until uh, Rene de Hennen showed up in 1956. He was a recent immigrant from Switzerland, and he talked to a farmer who was working for in Alberta about uh, expeditions to uh, look for the abominable snowman in Nepal. And fellow told him, well, you don't have to go that far. They have something like that in British Columbia. So he showed up, prepared to go looking for the Sasquatch. I tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> and, uh, the next year, pretty much as a result of the interest that he had stirred up, because there hadn't been anything going on a year or so, I, well, it was 1956. I'd been here since 54. Heard nothing recent about it. But he, he got the subject discussed again, and the local council in Harrison Hot Springs, which is a very small village, they had some money to spend uh, on a permanent project to mark a provincial centennial, and somebody suggested spending it looking for the Sasquatch. That really uh, is probably the most successful publicity stunt in history because it never cost anybody a cent. News went all around the world this little government was going to look for the Sasquatch. And that really got the people around here talking, and I realized that, you know, this started to sound pretty serious, Uh, particularly one incident that had taken place uh, just uh, 16 years before and just a few miles away, and there were still people around who 
witness who saw the thing was still still available, and then people who'd seen footprints afterwards. So that's when I really got hooked on it. So there you go. So John, I, I think it was his, you know, his journalistic, um, you know, his journalistic, um, not interest, intrigue, uh, or curiosity. Uh, yeah, that, that got the best of him, and he started delving into this mystery. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny how he it was pretty funny. I well, I tried to talk him out of it, uh, <laughs> trying to talk to uh, Rennie De He called him Rennie De Hinden. Uh, yeah, uh, some people call him Renee, but uh, he called him Rennie. Um, yeah, I think that's how pro uh, Thomas pronounces it too. Is yeah. Rennie? Yeah. Uh, you got a bot in chat. Uh, I think I did. I get rid of one. Yeah, I got rid of one. Yeah, oh, did you? Okay. Of, yeah, the All Russian. Right. Yep, got rid of the Russian. Yeah, yeah. Russians. Always trying to get in on our shows. That's it. Trying to learn <laughs> what we know about Bigfoot, if anything. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, that that's uh, part one of that. So you know, it, it was interesting that that it wasn't just something that spontaneously happened. It it took time. Yeah. It did. So, yeah. um, so next we, we talked to him a little bit about Jerry crew and the first Bigfoot sighting. Of course, that's going to eventually segue into Ray Wallace, but first let's talk about Jerry crew. Here it is. Cool. There was a story in the city paper up here, showed a picture of Jerry holding a footprint cast. And by that time I was sufficiently, uh, interested that uh, my wife and I just got in the car and headed down there to see what it was all about. Rennie couldn't go because he was a landed immigrant and at that time he, he couldn't uh, go to the United States till he got his citizenship. But uh, he was a machine operator. There's all, always this concept that Jerry Crew found the track. But it wasn't that way at all. I mean, there was a, a whole contract going on there and lots of people saw the track. Jerry's role was that he was the man who made a cast of one. Well, when I went down there the first time, there weren't any good tracks to be seen. There were just some old ones beside the road. But on that trip, I got to know Bob Titmus, who was a taxidermist and uh, had a friend of Jerry Cruz had showed him how to make a cast and so on. And Anyway, Bob wrote me a letter a couple of weeks later and said that he, he and another man named Ed Patrick, who I was just talking to the other day, you know, lives in Alaska, found different tracks, tracks of a different individual, and not on the road, but down in a sandbar on the creek bed, down below the road. So I went back down again, and that's the time that I, well, those are the best tracks I ever saw, the most convincing, because, you know, I could walk around them and hardly leave a boot print and these things were as I say in the deepest part sunk in an inch deep. You know that's really what has been my quest ever since is to try to establish what can make those tracks. You know we didn't limit it to an animal by any means we tried in any way at all you know, trying to figure out how they could be made. That's what's uh, kept me going is that those tracks do exist and, and nobody has uh, come up with any explanation of how they were made other than uh, by this huge heavy animal that people claim that they see. There you have it. Yeah, that was a very young John Green on the right there. Sure was. In that yeah, picture. I, I, yeah. Yep. yeah. So, uh, you know, what I find interesting is, is it's very true that we all think that Jerry Crew found the tracks, but he was right. the first to cast the tracks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you know, we had Carl Crew on the show over a year ago now uh, talking about his uncle, uh, Uncle Jerry, and... Uh, 
you know, very interesting story how it all happened. And we learned the background of the man. He was uh, he was very involved with the church. So he was an honest, upright guy, mm-hmm. um, you know. But then we have the stain of Ray Wallace that comes in because Ray Wallace had something to do with the property. And, of course, yeah. many years later, the family found Stompers. And, of course, the media took great pleasure in saying, oh, Bigfoot is dead. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. It's over with. Uh, and that, that wasn't really quite the case. But, uh, you know, John, you know, John is a simple, really a simple guy, came from a lot simpler period of time. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he never, he doesn't dance around, doesn't dance around things. He hits it straight on. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we hear, we will, uh, here's what he has to say about Ray Wallace. Well, Ray Wallace uh, was head of the company that had the subcontract that was doing the road building. So he was there some of the time, but uh, he was never there at any time that I was there on several visits. And uh, a man named Ed Schillinger in Crescent City, California, was a, a civil engineer. But at that time, he was a teenager who was working as the stake setter on that job. He's the only one left that I know of that was actually worked there. And he says that uh, Ray's main role was lining up other jobs, and there was more than one job going at that time, and they didn't see Ray very often. And what... Uh, is re- really strange about this situation is that with all this publicity about Ray making all of the tracks, absolutely not one shred of evidence has emerged that Ray ever made any track. All that they have is some wooden footprints which don't match any known tracks, appear to be carved in imitation but rather crudely of, of a different set of tracks, not the original Bigfoot. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't ever fake any tracks, but there are many people that have carved wooden feet, including myself and Grover Krantz, that, that made them just to, to try to see whether you could make tracks that way, which in fact you can't. I mean, you, you can make tracks in very specific appliant materials, but to try to match the actual range of things that the tracks are made in and the strides they make and the, the way that the toes move around and so on. There's no way in the world you can do it on wooden feet. Well, there you have it. Yeah, and I think that's one thing is you, you notice what he was saying is that, you know, and this is the way those guys back then were thinking, okay, well, what can, if these are real tracks, what could make these tracks? Can we make these tracks? Yep. And so they would try to make, and if, I don't know, I mean, you can, you know, have to put it up to my own opinion, but when I look at the different, uh, um, supposed stompers that Ray Wallace had, and I, I've seen a couple of different pairs, none of them could have made those casts that, that they were, that they were holding, you know? Yeah. They look nothing like. They look nothing like the, the the Bosberg prints. They look nothing like the Jerry Crew prints. They look nothing like the Patterson Gimlin prints. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, uh, now again, like I said, I know we know that he did hoax some tracks, right? But here's here's uh, the thing, uh, you know, I think John, uh, you know, there is this big thing about the Blue Creek Mountain tracks that look a lot like Ray Wallace's stampers or stompers, and you know, if you notice John say that, you know, the only reason why they may look like it is because, you know, they were crudely imitated. Right. So maybe John was trying to allude at that particular point that, you know, Ray made those off of the Blue Mountain 
tracks rather than the other way around. Could be. Uh, he made the yeah. tracks and then made the Blue Creek tracks. Well, so, yeah. um, you know, it, it's uh, it's something that, you know, I, I was trying to be polite about and not, you know, he, he you know, at the time, good Lord, he was, you know, in his late 70s, almost 80 at that time. Um, this was, uh, so he would have been, he was 89 when he passed. Yeah. And this was uh, about nine years before he passed. So he was about 80 at that time. And uh, I don't believe at the time he was living at home. I think he was in the retirement home at that time. Okay. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not entirely entirely sure of that when he went into the retirement home. So I, I didn't really want to, you know, you know, anger him at all about, about the, the similarities between the two. And I very well interpreted what he was saying was that, you know, these were crude imitations of tracks that had previously existed so yeah. i don't know well and, he was uh, there so i mean and, and he didn't even make them to tell you the truth a gentleman by the name i believe the name of rant mullins actually made them I've, for. i've heard that name yeah that's right no, no, rant he mullins. made them for ray wallace so that's what he had to to say uh, about ray wallace um one of the, the the more interesting things we talk about, and it was a um, really a uh, the majority of the program uh, was a um, the majority of the program was talked about the Patterson Gimlin film because he here is this third party. Um, it's not it's not uh, Roger Patterson. It's not Bob Gimlin. It, here's this third party that was a witness to all these events going around very closely related to all the witnesses, uh, you mm -hmm. know, related to the witnesses. He knew Roger before the, the film was ever made. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, he knew that gaggle, Bob Titmus, Roger Patterson. Yeah. Cause I think Roger, even before 67 had written, I think some letters to John Green. Sure. And he had yeah, actually yeah, written a book. Perfect. Yeah. Roger had already written a book, America's Abominable Snowman, mm -hmm. um, a couple of years prior to the um, <clears throat> the uh, the actual film. So uh, so this is broken up into uh, basically four different parts. So we'll go over different parts, uh, four different parts, and then he talks about Bob Hieronymus, uh, Philip Morris, and and. Uh, and, a, and his final word on the film as well. Um, so we, we have a few clips to get in through this. Um, but his insights into the Patterson Gimlin film are very interesting. Like, yeah. you know, why was Roger Patterson even there? Yeah. And uh, he explains that. So here we go. Cool. I had gotten to know Roger fairly well before the, he got the movie. I was called down there in 1967, the end of August, when there were some new tracks. And at that time, I, I was trying to arrange to be able to follow tracks with a tracking dog, of not the bloodhound type, but, well, sorry, yes, the bloodhound type, not not hunting hounds, but tracking dog. Uh, the particular dog in, at that time was a German Shepherd. I was able to uh, take the uh, dog handler and the dog down there, but those tracks didn't turn out to be very promising. I got a call to come down again right as soon as I got home. And on that occasion, there were very good tracks, hundreds of them on a road under construction in the same general area as where the Bigfoot tracks had originated and where Patterson got the movie. So uh, Roger happened to be out investigating somewhere else at the time, 
but word got to him about those tracks. That's why he was down there at that particular time, and he hadn't planned to be, but uh, he was working on uh, trying to make a movie on this subject, and he was hopeful of being able to see some track. Of course, eventually he saw the thing itself as well as track. So there you have it. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and there was always that big discussion that, you know, uh, at the time I believe him and, and Bob Gimlin were up around Mount St. Helens, you know, Jay Birch's area. Yeah. Uh, investigating. And uh, for whatever reason, he got word and he packed up and he went to Bluff Creek, California. Well, that was because of those tracks being found there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people people would say, well, why would a Sasquatch be around a construction site? Well, it's very clear that, uh, you know, that the, these prints came before this film. So, and it wasn't right. even a, a plan, necessary planned uh, thing. So that, that was uh, very, some very insightful stuff and some yeah. very happenstance stuff. So it yeah. doesn't sound like, uh, you know, if there was any, uh, how should I say it, any preconceived or uh, premeditated yeah. type of, of stuff going on, it, it, it seems to negate the premeditation by that that type of incident yeah you know and that's the thing is everybody wants to make it this big oh well what was he doing in that area you know like anything that they could like it's throwing shade to say it's a hoax well look at it look okay tracks are found roger patterson wanted to make a movie about bigfoot wanted to find a bigfoot and so he was a bigfoot researcher at that time so of course he's going to go to the area if he's like, oh, hey, the tracks were found here. Of course he's going to go there hoping to see one or at least find some tracks. So it's not a big mystery like everybody wants to throw in there. Oh, what was he doing in there? He was going to make a movie. You know, I mean, all that. Well, so what? That doesn't mean that Patty was a hoax and all the footprints. The footprints were there before any of it, like you said. So it was the yeah footprints that kicked it all off right exactly so So that that was uh you know very interesting and uh i believe uh titmus had a lot to do with uh the the tracks prior to patterson coming down there so all right let's let's continue on the narration cool i wasn't able to get back down there that year i was there when uh, roger came home and when the movie was first shown because of course he didn't he didn't know what he had. He sent the movie to his brother-in-law to be developed. And when Roger came, I was there before Roger was. Rennie and I were there, and Jim McLaren. We had tracks, two sizes of tracks, or so the ones that we had seen were roughly 15-inch and 13-inch in length. And, of course, we expected when Roger arrived that any cast that he might have would be one or the other of those two, but they weren't. They were in between, almost as long as the 15-inch, but narrower. Well, that added up to three different individuals all around there in the same area at the same time. I saw the movie there, and then he showed it again at the University of British Columbia. And then a few months later, Rennie and I made arrangements to show the movie in Canada. So we actually had the original while we were having copies made that we could show. And we got, had then by then prints from the film, which is something nobody else other than Roger had. Roger had not been back to Bluff Creek. He, he was in, involved in showing the film in the U.S. There you have it. Um, so there was three different sets of prints found. They all look different. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, as Mick points out, that uh, uh, they couldn't have been made, uh, made by um, Ray. Um, and there were three different size tracks there, and none of them ever matched Ray's fake feet, uh, fake footprints. Um, so that makes it very interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, they, a lot of times the media loves confusing uh, different things that were said. They, they, yeah. They they try to portray that Wallace was responsible for the the Patterson Gimlin hoax and the tracks that were there, but none of them ever matched any any stomper that was ever found by the Wallace family. Right. Uh, so you know, but this is um, and, and John will talk about the media uh, in a little bit, um, and it's very interesting what he has to say. Um, and I've said that for years. I mean, you want to talk about being. Uh, so online, of course, I, you know, John Green was one of my heroes. So, um, yeah, you know, and I had never talked to him about the media before. So for him to come out and say what I've been saying all along was that, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was always science against Sasquatch research. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of the 80s, towards the 90s, the the paradigm shifted. It was the media against Sasquatch research. Yeah. And the scientists were trying to say well hey we need to look at this yeah a few of them were yeah and um uh it's just uh very uh very interesting and a very interesting perspective and uh the reason this is so important because we lose that perspective as time goes on we mm. weren't part of that generation he was the one of the original generations he was yeah. one of the four horsemen yeah um, and people want to say that bob titmus was probably the fifth horse right um, uh you know, and then the next generation was the Tom Steenberg generation. Yeah, my generation too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I came in towards the end of that generation as well, and in the late nineties. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you know, I, we we kind of got a lot of the perspective, but a lot of the folks nowadays that are coming in in the twenty twenties, the the late twenty tens, don't have this perspective that John right. Green had, which was really remarkable because he Absolutely. was there at the beginning of all this and yep. he see and i think he you know what he would say now i have no idea it'd be very interesting if he was uh <laughs> yeah. you know if he was here and sharp and crisp and you know uh, what would john green say i, I, I agree know. i don't yeah. know it'd be kind of interesting um, i, I- I kind of get a feeling, even though, like I said, I've never got to meet the man. He wrote me a letter once when I was like 15 or 16. He answered a letter that I wrote to him uh, back then. And And that says uh, a lot about him. Yeah, that he took the time just to answer my letter. It does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But um, I think I kind of get the feeling what I think he might say if he were around still and he saw everything that's on the Internet now. I think a lot of that, you know, he'd be like, uh, he'd probably be the same thing. It's like the blowing smoke. That's what he would say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Blowing smoke. Um, so that, that was fascinating stuff. So let's listen to part three about the Patterson. Absolutely. Following summer, uh, I went down there with slides from the movie and I met Jim McLaren who lived down there. Jim was six foot five and Jim had been to the track site the previous falls, 
when all the tracks were playing. By the time I was there, some were still to be seen, but the, unfortunately the part where the thing is actually in the movie, the tracks were no longer visible. Well, largely, I suppose, because they'd been cast the year before. Anyway, we did take this uh, companion movie or comparison movie of Jim walking close as he could remember to the route that the uh, creature had taken, and I found that with the slides was possible to, to line things up in the viewfinder of my camera to tell exactly where Roger had been when he was taking the movie. So we do have that comparison movie, but you know it's not by no means perfect. P people can argue whether it shows the thing as being bigger than Jim or smaller than Jim. Oh, there you go. And yeah. everybody remembers that initial comparison. But you know, it, it's you know, John was a humble man. And, you know, the the comment that he made that, you know, hey, listen, you know, people could argue it, you know, right. you know, with the same size or bigger or whatever, um, you know, because, it was, you know, he it certainly wasn't like scientific and everything. But, you know, that's what an investigator does. And uh, the funny thing is there is uh, there was a little discussion on one of the groups today. Different uh, <laughs> uh, neighborhood. Renee was around today, he'd probably say, beep, 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 I can't hit my beep button on the, on the soundboard. But, um, but, you know, there was a discussion on one of the boards today about the Cliff Crook photo. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how today's generation will say, well, it was, it, this was taken by a forest ranger. And, you know, well, no, it was allegedly taken by a forest ranger. There was no proof that it was ever right. taken by a forest ranger. That right. was something that just Cliff Crook had said. Um, and, and Cliff Crook made the claim that he was one of the first Bigfoot investigators. You know, because okay. he got involved in 1954. But, um, you, okay. know, you know, people, you know, if you look at it, you can see what looks like a blade of grass. And some people other than, and, and the problem was, is the only people, the only thing that people could reference was what Matt Moneymaker said about that. And of course, because Matt Moneymaker says it doesn't mean, you know, all of a sudden they got to take an opposite stance to that. You know, let's put personalities aside. Right. Let's look at the facts. The fact is, is that, you know, well, you know, well, that, that that's not a, how can that be a blade of grass and blah, blah, that's just his opinion. Well, then what kind of plant matter is that? Nobody could say. Not even, you know, the, the person uh, that I, remember, I can't figure out the name right now, but the person in that particular I uh, did say that, you know, he had experience with a lot of plant life in the Washington area and was mm -hmm. like, no, there's nothing that even fits that description. It's 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 a blade of grass. Um, but they don't look at, you know, everybody's looking at the picture and not the story around it. Okay, mm -hmm. so you have a picture that's in question. What's the story around it? Well, with the Patterson Gimlin film, we always had this very elaborate, very detailed, very timelined kind of uh, list of events. Yeah, uh, around the cliff, uh, the the Cliff Crook photo that that one in particular, you had no story except it was by a game warden. You know that was yeah. it. That's all you got. Yeah, um, there was you know the big the first Bigfoot investigator never went down there and took a picture of the area that it was taken at. You never did any comparison right. photos. Never did any right. investigation into it. Merely took the, the the photo and went, "Hey, look what I got." Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, to me, does not look very well on that, the credibility of that photo. And right. that's my point. 
And right. then you look at what was Cliff Crook's profession. He was a sculptor. Right. And everybody was saying that that was a carving put down or a, a, a whatever and painted and put down. And, and, you know, and then the excuse was, well, if you look at the second photo, because uh, Thinker Funker, not that he's been right a lot of times as of late, uh, came up with a second photo, which he said kind of proved it wasn't real. And he, he was and, and the, the guy defending the, the, the Cliff Crook um, picture was like, well, look, it's looking in a completely different way. Well, you can sculpt out another one. I mean, it's, it's no problem, right. you know, right. and they don't see that ability. You got to look beyond your nose sometimes to figure things out. Right. Um, right. You know, and the fact is that he came out with, I think, three or four other photos, alleged submissions to him that look all very similar. They have kind of a blurring feature to them and they yeah. look very sculpted or very inanimate yeah. um, and, and have that, you know, uh, uh, ability that they could be miniatures too. So who knows? Um, you know, or they may be something that big. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so you, you look at the difference between the, the Patterson Gimlin film and something like a Cliff Crook photo or anything like that. And this is with a film, and, and you think about it, it's one of the longer films that you see out there. It's not, uh, and you see yeah. a series of events and there's film before the event and after the event, <clears throat> by all means, it passed yeah. all the litmus tests yeah. for, for, uh, potentially being genuine. Yeah. And well, and you got to You got to consider the fact that, you know, and, and maybe I'm biased cause I'm that, I'm, I'm that age or close to that age. I mean, of course, some of these guys like John green, they were, they were before when I was just a little kid before I even knew what a Bigfoot was. Um, none of those guys that were investigating this back then, and I, I give them their due for the investigation because you got to realize, yeah, okay, uh, Roger Patterson wanted to make a film. He really believed that there was something out there. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, ask me my opinion. He got extremely lucky and actually was able to film one, and one that was more than highly probably making those casts or those footprints that got casted out there. But now these guys investigating this, none of them want to look like fools. So they're actually trying to do an investigation, trying to find out, is this real? Are these real? Is that real? You know, they're actually looking at it that, that way. Whereas opposed, things have changed now. I mean, because, you know, there's so much Bigfoot on online, Facebook pages, etc. And I, you know, I, I think some of them aren't researchers, just people that have a Bigfoot page. And so they slap. That's why you see all this stuff like the cook photo and this and that, because everybody's putting up everything that they can. You know, it's not, you know, I know know Crook had a a website called BigfootCentral.com a long time. Um, You know, I never and he may have been. I mean, he was really winding down when I got into the the, um, this crazy um side sideshow here um i never really saw him go out and do anything yeah you know but then again you know with youtube there wasn't social media there wasn't youtube right. there was none of that then so right. he may have been so <laughs> well <laughs> but, you know yeah. these old guys the back you know and i got that's why i have the due respect uh because you know you know, these guys didn't have fleers they didn't were, have yeah. you know and there was certainly technology in- but they were out there Right. Looking and, for prints, trying to cast prints, 
trying to find what evidence they could get, you know. And um, even without social media, right? They still got pictures out there of them doing their thing. Yeah. So why there was nothing of Cliff Crook doing anything except, you know, <laughs> sitting behind a table here and there or, you know, making a, a statement. Uh, Cliff Crook also tried to make a claim <coughs> that the Patterson-Gimlin film was a hoax because he could see a buckle in the film. Oh, okay. I had so, never heard that, that before. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, jumping on the let's bash, you know, and that did not necessarily endear him to the Bigfoot community as well. Yeah. So, um, okay, here we are. Uh, Patterson part four. Here we are. I should mention that Bob Titmus had also been down there. Roger only cast two tracks. Bob went in there a couple of weeks later and cast ten more. When we had had the movie shown at the university and there were a bunch of scientists there, we showed up with all our what we considered our best cast. And uh, the result was that they said, well, you know, these don't look, don't look like genuine tracks. Tracks aren't a perfect shape like that. Bob cast a string of them, some of them very showing great deal of motion, great deal of change shape. So those casts are, are part of the, uh, the strong evidence supporting that movie. One of those goes the uh, most extreme case of the flexibility in the middle of the foot where the uh, human foot is, is rigid, where it has a rigid arch. The other higher primates can bend their foot in the middle, and there's evidence that the Sasquatch can do the same, even though their footprint looks much more human than it does like any of the apes. Mm. That is very, very correct. And he, of course, yep. there he's talking about the mid-tarsal break. Yeah. Um, but that's very interesting to show that Bob Titmus went there afterwards and, and, and got more prints. Right. And so then there's part. another third party that's going in there and getting more tracks. Yeah. And, uh, you yep. know, so. so Bob, very, cast, Bob cast like nine of them, I believe it was. We just talked a little bit about it on Nikki's show, too. I think it was nine that they said that Bob actually went and cast it, too. So it's very, very fascinating stuff that Titmus had been print, had been getting captures before and after of, of castings mm -hmm. and uh, the film in between. So it all made, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, historically, you know, one of the things you got to look at uh, towards the authenticity of any film is, you know, is there history around the area to substantiate, you know, such a claim? Um, right. You know, and obviously there was. There was there was a lot of tracks being found. There were sightings in the area, of course, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, and there you have it. So uh, now he talks about, um, and, and this I find very interesting, is the way he talks about uh, Bob Hieronymus uh, and Philip Morris of course, Bob Hieronymus was the guy who claims he was the guy in the suit. Well, at least one of them, anyway. There's been right. more than one guy, though. But yeah, <laughs> very, very true. Bob um, is the one everybody thinks of, right? And he talks to he talks about Philip Morris at length, and very briefly about Greg Long, who was the author of the um, the book that kind of featured everything. So here here's um, John on Bob Hieronymus and company. As you know, there's a book out of somebody who's been finding everything he ever did wrong in his life. Well, one thing that's certain is Bob Hieronymus was never there. He hasn't got a clue about the geography. The one that is most striking to me is how he totally reversed his story about the suit itself 
as soon as this costume maker showed up claiming he had made the suit. Described a totally different suit. Hieronymus just abandoned the one that he had described and supported the one that, uh, I don't think the costume maker had any more to do with it than Hieronymus did. Actually, in, in that book, if you'll reread and consider carefully the witnesses who say they saw a suit in Hieronymus' car and what they have to say about it. And there's a clear picture there that the author never even caught on to. He was so fixed on his own idea that Hieronymus did have a suit and was using it to pull pranks in the Yakima area over quite a period. And I presume that people assumed that he must be the guy in the movie and that he never denied it. I mean, you know, why would he? His, his 15 seconds of fame, so to speak. And probably after these 30-odd years, uh, he made up his mind that the guy who actually was in the suit, because I'm sure he thought it was a man in a suit, wasn't around anymore, so it wouldn't hurt to when Long really pushed him. Because remember, at first he told Long he had nothing to do with it. But anyway, uh, what seems quite obvious is that here he's described this horsehide suit, which maybe was the suit he had. But then when somebody else comes along and says he made the suit for Roger... Poor old Hieronymus thinks this guy's telling the truth. So, you know, he ab- abandons his own story and hitches on to somebody else. No, there's no resemblance at all. So when, when he says he saw the movie and said, that's one of my suits, I mean, that, that's an outright lie. There's no question about that. Actually, all that there is to his story, if the story were true in every detail, is that somebody phoned him and said they were Roger Patterson and bought a suit. Well, there you have Thank it. Thank you very much. And I feel so, I've been, I point it, say it, uh, almost exactly what John just said in that is what I've been saying to a lot of people when it comes down to that film about the suits, man. And John said almost the exact same thing that I said uh, and have been saying about the differences in the suits. The one was supposed to be, made from greened what i've read was greened horsehide was what a hieronymus originally said and then philip morris made that other costume based from the film was what i understood and they made this other costume and then all of a sudden it switched oh yeah that's the costume all right well uh, the the big glaring thing is is that when hieronymus first told his story was he never showed anybody the suit only his mother and his nephew were I believe at his house and that was it. But then several months later he came out and said, well, I showed everybody at the bar and it was in the back of the car. Yeah. So his story was not, uh, necessarily, uh, you know, correct. Uh, it changed. And that is a huge issue for an investigator as is, you know, and John, John being the investigative reporter there, that is quintessential. Well, these things are not matching. The suits yeah. are not matching, and the story's yeah. changing. Why, you know? Yeah. And uh, they're they're little uh, they're little um, a reenactment look nothing like that. Would I mean the loose fitting, you know, legs of that suit? Yeah, I just did not. Um, you know, it just it just did not. Uh, and again, uh, that suit that they're using was made by, you know, the 2000s uh, uh, standards or by the 1990s yeah. standards, not by the standards of 1967. Yeah. So I like that, you know, he called him out. So when he said that's one of my suits and he said that's a playing out lie, 
There you go. Right from a guy that was there during all his time. And he's telling you right now that, nope, that's just an outright lie right there. And, you know, so he knows and tells you that, you know what, Bob Hieronymus was never even at Bluff Creek. Doesn't know the yep. geography, nothing. So, yep, it's very interesting stuff. And of course, the final word on the Patterson Gimlin film is here. All right. I've never had any doubts about that film. It's, I've forgotten most of them now, but year after year, these people come up with stories supposedly proving it was a hoax. In every case, including this latest one, the, the story falls apart and, and the film remains. There yep. you have it. Very simple. And, and yep. you're right. People have claimed that you know, I was this or I was that, and then they eventually fall by the wayside. Yep. Um, you know, I, I just uh, very, very interesting how, you know, what the next 10 years will bring for the film, the Patterson film. Very yeah. I mean, well, that's my point the whole time, man. I mean, the story falls apart, and that's why I will continue to say that that film is of a sasquatch yep and you know the the debunking efforts now you know i've I started reading greg long's you know i i've read some of greg long's book and i will say you know i, I don't think he necessarily was out to uh had an agenda necessarily um, right except for he heard that it was fake by somebody after he was investigating a ufo sighting and that kind of peaked his ear, and he started going down the rabbit hole with it. Um, but it, any good investigative reporter will see that these stories, these two stories, don't match. Right. So is one of them lying, or both of them lying? Uh, you, right. you don't know. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. It, could one be hooked? You know, one hooked up onto the other. Oh, I'm the guy in the suit, and then somebody across the country says, "Yeah, I, I made the suit." And next thing you know, oh, okay, yeah, and everything changes. Perfect, perfect uh, mixture of a uh, perfect storm, I should say. Yeah, uh, you know that that sounds like to me a nor'easter. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Two convergences and yeah. um, so that that really, uh, you know, in Greg Long, uh, the book was introduced. Uh, the introduction was written by a gentleman by the name of Cal Corf. I don't okay. even remember Cal Corf. I've I've never I've and, never read that book so. Yeah, but uh, well, Cal Corf was doing a lot of uh, a lot of talking on um, uh, on the X Zone Radio, uh, which is like the Canadian version of uh, Coast to Coast AM. Okay, um, and um, uh, their, their host is Rob McConnell, and Rob was not a big believer in the Patterson Gimlin film, much because I believe he he started talking a lot to Greg Long, the author of the the book. The book I can't think of the name of the book top of my head right now um so i'm not going to sit there and, and and stop the podcast to figure it out <laughs> um but uh can you have cal corf on a lot and cal corf would brag i'm a colonel in the israeli secret services okay all right well it turns out that oh he's a colonel all right but the israeli secret services is not a government agency it's a security guard company, basically. Okay. So huh. he's trying to tout his little, I'm a colonel. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as like he's supposed to be something really special and important like that. And there was pictures of him in this beret and this colonel's uniform. Right? Uh, yeah. 
So yeah. he, he's not really in the military. And he had to say, well, I'm not in the military. It's a private company. So you're a security guard. You're a security guard. You're a rent-a-cop. Yeah. Maybe you're armed. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But right. You're, you're Israeli you're, you're still You're still not in the Israeli secret services. Like, it's something special. Hey, um, I, I was a rent-a-cop for a while. Yeah. Because guess what? The Israeli secret services, that's called the Mossad. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Right. Right. Um, yeah. So people, people were all, you know, automatically, but they gave this guy so much credibility, and then he made, uh, you know, he made these wild claims that he assisted in the O.J. Simpson prosecution. Well, that turned out well, didn't it? Um, uh, that's something I would, you know, pss, pss, don't brag about that. Don't brag about that. And drop yeah. the O.J. stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't. What was that uh, when uh, Anchorman when? Uh, what's his name? Said, oh, I killed a man with a strident, a trident. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go around uh, saying that too loud. Yeah. Um. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, you know. But uh, this is the, the the post. And the funny thing is, is years ago I was part of a debate uh, that was supposed to go on about the Patterson Gimlin film, and Corf was supposed to be on there. And guess what? Corf didn't want to go on live with us to debate us. <laughs> he wanted his pre-recorded he would leave after the first hour and then the rest of us would come on you know that to me is very cowardly yeah yeah very cowardly yeah. um because you know what uh so let, let's talk about your background there mr Corf. Are you a colonel or, or uh, were you a colonel anointed by some agents uh by a a government agency well no why uh, so so you're you're no more a colonel than colonel sanders <laughs> Or, right. or what was Elvis's manager? The Colonel. Right? The Colonel. That's right. Hey, I was a captain. So, you know, hey. <laughs> Low Rider says the. <laughs> Hang on a second. I'll put this one up here uh, for our folks on replay. Um, Colonel Sanders had more credibility. Yeah. Better chicken, too. Better, that's right. <laughs> well, at least uh, Colonel Corp proved he was chicken. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> He had some chicken. Well, at least on that debate. So uh, that was uh, fascinating stuff about his take on on the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah. So let's, he goes on to talk a little bit about, because um, I had made mention to it. Yeah. About, excuse me. <laughs> well, what's fascinating to me at this point is that really, top scientists in this field are now taking this matter seriously and it's as if science was protecting the general public from this heresy for 30 years but now they're not doing it anymore media has taken on that role what really nailed this down was that uh, the denver post their environment writer had a, a major story front page and spread inside about top people in the study of apes like Jane Goodall who everybody's heard about and Dara Swindler who did the textbook on a comparative anatomy of ape and humans uh, George Schaller who although he's not as uh, had as much publicity as Jane Goodall is widely recognized as the most prominent field zoologist of the 20th century and it's still going and all of them saying that it's time this was studied this story was in the denver post and never went anywhere else and i, I called the associated press in denver and asked them 
how come it, or whether they'd ever put it on the wire. No, they had. So I thought maybe that's because it was so big and complex that the guy just didn't want to tackle it. So I phoned the man who wrote the story and asked him if he could do a summary for Associated Press. He said, sure, he'd be glad to do that. And he phoned Associated Press. No, they wouldn't use it. So, you know, they're, they're really manning the ramparts and saying that the public isn't to see this. Yep. Very strange. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, what are you going to say about that, right? Yeah. Um, of course. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is uh, you know, just a year earlier, I had a similar experience where uh, AB, AOL.com had, when they were a thing, of course, back in 2005 and 2006, AOL was still a thing. And they had a news story, ABC, stating that, you know, uh, you know, when, when, uh, uh, you know, they talked about Ray Wallace dying and uh, how uh, they had confused, they had they had mixed up Ray Wallace with Roger Patterson and that they said that, you know, Roger had confessed that the whole thing was a fake on his deathbed. They actually said that. Yeah, that's a lie. An uh, out-and-out lie. So I, I, I wrote them. I said, you need to retract that. That is completely inconsistent and wrong. Where's your source material for that? Where, you know, where, where do you say that? Where, where is that said anywhere? Well, we'll look into it and get back to you. Of course, they never got back to me, and they never right. retracted. So that's how lies start, and media just doesn't want to go back and correct it. Yeah, um, you know, you know. So uh, there was a question about ugh, the Bigfoot massacre, and uh, you know, again, MK Davis will tell you that John Green and Bob Titmus and that that dog there—they were all part of Lady. it. Yep. Yeah, they were all part of it. Yeah, uh, you know, I never, you know. When I interviewed John Green at the time, that story had had not broken. It was not for yeah. another like three or four months before that broke. Right. And uh, it's too bad I never got John after that story broke because. Yeah, it would um, be interesting uh, to see what he said about it. You know, of course. Well, he would have called that madness is what he would have called well, it. Of course. Because, yeah. More than likely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was some. That's that's, you know. Speaking of another and, person that doesn't like to debate or won't debate the. The massacre was M.K. Davis, who somebody right. reached out when I was going after that a couple of years ago and said, hey, you can come on. We can debate it. And, no, I don't want to, you know, OK. I, you know, I think I, I hate to say this, but, you know, because someday it may happen to me. I don't know. It depends on how old I get. My cheese might slide off my cracker. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I'm sorry to say, you know, I mean, I don't want to. I think MK somewhere's cheese slid off his cracker, man. I think. And there were okay. So so let's let's MK ever watches this. I'm sorry, dude, but that's what it seems like to me. Let's make this very clear. Um, uh, Raptor crazy. There was no bunch of hunters killing Bigfoot where Patterson Gimlin were researching. The reason being, and I'll tell you this why, it was near a construction area. You you know, it was it's been talked about as part of somebody trying to say, well, what would a Bigfoot be doing around a construction area? To the point where we heard John Green even say that Bob Titmus came down, it was near a construction area, yada, yada, yada. Now, what MK Davis has lovely looped in in his little conspiratorial mind is that Oh, that was uh, the construction vehicles were there to bury the Sasquatch bodies and do all this and doing all that. And this is all conjecture. Conjecture. There's no proof of anything. There's no proof. Zero proof. Yeah. <laughs> Just some wild 
wild walk hypothesis based on based on seeing red or you know red on a film that this is a pool of blood well i got news for people and i got news for mk when blood dries it turns black so that wouldn't be a brown that wouldn't be a reddish brown pool that would be a black pool and um and, and the funny thing is he's using red uh, the color red to help make things stand <coughs> out in the film. So of course that's why it's red. And yeah. uh, Thinker Thunker actually uh, corrected that too. And, and Thinker Thunker is not the not, not like I said he's been wrong before too. But there's things he's been right on as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely uh, I've never seen anybody say that looks like blood and come up with this whole big. Um, coming up with these whole big conspiracy theory based on yeah. nothing but conjecture. Yeah. You know, what if, what yeah. if, what just, if just wild. there's no proof of nothing, just wild conjecture. It's like the, the Bigfoot yeah. taken off of Mount St. Helens when it, when it exploded. Right. We didn't yeah. get to explore that with Jay Birch, but Jay Birch yeah. was a national guardsman at the time. At of, the time. Yes. Uh, of, of the, and he says, we had no time to even think about Bigfoot. Yeah. Let alone any of the other animals. Yeah. The place was like, it, it, you know, it, you know, it, it was that whole area was nuked, basically. Yeah, devastated, man. You devastated. Good into the area. You had the, the the blast zone. You had asphalt. You had pyroclastic flows. The military wasn't about worried about Bigfoot. How did they find them anyway? They couldn't find the people that were missing. So, well, or the cars that were missing. Yeah. So well, they, they you weren't. Can, you can thank people like uh, you know how to read email um, about pressing that Bigfoot massacre thing, shoving that forward. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. It, yeah, two broke cowboys are going down there as an elite crew to kill Bigfoot. That's the yeah. funniest shit I've ever heard. Like, there's been so many other Bigfoot killed over the over the last uh, eighty years. Right. And, court, and and how are two broke cowboys with conventional bullets going to kill something that those same people claim are demons and yeah and why why would natural nephilim and all this other yeah, crap what, yeah what what was the motive behind it right that, that the whole yeah. massacre thing what was the motive behind it you know because you had why come out with a film of a bigfoot when you have the proof in a body yeah why take the harassment from science yeah. Being yeah. called a phony and a fraud and all right. this other baloney, right? And if you had these bodies, like yeah, if you got you know, the like, body, you it. There you it's go. It's all garbage, right? And it's it's just you know conjecture from somebody that has went to fantasy land. I'm sorry, uh, you know, as an investigator, as a professional investigator, yeah, dude, that that's grasping your straws. You have ev no evidence of anything. You don't have evidence of blood. Yeah. Zip. You know what? If he was at the site. Why didn't he go where the pool was and get some soil samples, and then have it tested for for blood? Yeah. Even though it's been years, you can maybe find it if you dig deep enough. Well, I've always wondered what is the but no, mode? but no, but I'll I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what though, Joe. No, what he did with the soil he did dig up is he put it in little bottles and sold it at conferences for a profit. <laughs> There's the he did. That's There's what he did. The motive. I was gonna say, man, I just can't figure out what the motive is for anybody to actually, you know, make up all this bull crap. 
I don't know what their motive is for making all that crap up, you know, in the first place. Uh, but now you've kind of explained a little bit of it for me. You know, well, animals in general, Lockbeard, have a better sense of what's going on because when when you have and understand this, there, there's a reason for why animals uh, know earthquakes are coming before and probably volcanic eruptions, because when there are earthquakes, it's known that infrasound is emitted um, during earthquakes or mm -hmm. prior to earthquakes and yep. infrasound is emitted. And we know earthquakes are directly, you know, related to volcanic activity because it causes the earth to rumble. So mm -hmm. that may be partly true, not that they're, you know, better connected be. with the land, but yeah. they uh, they may have heard some things that said, hey, let's move on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, because dogs and cats can, can sense an earthquake before it happens. You know, animals like that. Yeah, of course they do. They live out there. And I you think it does have something to do with you know that's where you live 24 7 your instincts and all that are much much sharper yep, exactly and, and you got you got to think about about you know you know there's so many conspiracy theories with zero proof out there yeah. oh uh, you know bigfoot were evacuated off of mount st helens yeah. oh uh you know uh, there was this massacre no there was no massacre. Yeah. come on yeah if there was a massacre guess what and they didn't want to bring the bodies forward guess what but it had never been a Patterson Gimlin film. Right. And, and we think just because MK Davis, some 40 years later, thinks there's a little bit of red or sees a, a red pool when actuality, yeah. he added the red tint to the film and he sees red. And, oh, where, where's all the rest of this stuff coming from? Where's, where's the, where is the evidence? There is zero evidence to even say that happens. Yeah. Just like there's zero evidence to say that the military pulled in. So why are we even entertaining this nonsense? Whatever okay. happened, let's find this thing. Yeah. 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 Whatever yeah. happened to, let's just stick to the facts and never stray from the facts. You know. yeah. well, I was really just messing. Okay. But yes, that sounds legit. Yeah. And I think that that's a good pot, you know, is that maybe they can, you know, obviously if a Sasquatch uses infrasound, they may... They may sense that, and other animals do. I, I know dogs and sheep before earthquakes get very restless. So why? They don't know. Science. That's one of the things science does not know. Horses. Horses, too. Horses, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, uh, we can have the last uh, of our John Green clips tonight. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, we... Here we are. Hang on. We got to put this one up there. So uh, animals can sense danger. That's why Sasquatch avoid traps baited with my ex-mom's meatloaf. That is <laughs> certainly for sure, Mick. Um, yeah. Boy, that's got to be some bad meatloaf because it gets mentioned often. Yeah, that's got to be like. Uh... <laughs> and I love meatloaf. So, Mick, don't, don't make me hate meatloaf, man. So, Joe. Yes. Is the missus standing within 25 feet of you? No. Is her meatloaf any good? Um, she doesn't. She likes mine. I Usually when oh, okay. meatloaf is made in this house, I make it. But she okay. makes a pretty good one, too, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, I make a pretty mean meatloaf. So. Okay. So the final uh, uh, in the final clip, uh, we're going to ask 
basically, John, like I do, I always ask our guests for their final thoughts of the night. And this is what I did with John, and this is what he had said. Well, for many years I thought that you'd have to have the physical part of one. Now that we know what we do about the intermembral index, and now that we have the uh, additional uh, anatomy from the skookum cast, I think if you could get enough scientists to study those things, that that would swing it. Well, the thing I generally try to nail down nowadays is that there are two indisputable facts. One is that something makes these enormous footprints, and science cannot tell us what it is. The other fact is that there are thousands of perfectly, not all normal, but all, a complete range of people, but most of them people whose word would be good on any other subject, who describe getting a good look at an enormous hair-covered upright animal. And that is a fact. That also requires an explanation that science doesn't have one. Well, there you go, man. I could not have said it better. Oh, he was somebody to admire. Absolutely. And and, uh, the other side, very civic, community-minded guy, uh, upright fellow, married for many, many years, the same woman, uh, raised a family, and, uh, you know, did a lot for people. Um, Stuff we never knew until after he passed. Yeah. So it just tells you about his humbleness. The kind of humbleness that would write back to a 15 year old boy about Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is something special. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you could not ask for a better shining example um, of humanity. Yeah. That was, you know, respected and. Um, you know, would always say very, very neutrally almost that I, I just can't see explaining a mystery with another mystery. Absolutely. You know, yeah. That was one of his famous quotes from some of the shows he's done. Yep. Um, so he is just a phenomenal, he was a phenomenal person, phenomenal human being that brought a, a good amount of honesty to this field. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, John Green took over 3,000 reports over his time and put them into a database that that was broken down into so many categories that he did so much for research, you know, um, and we're going to do another episode like this in a few months uh, with a gentleman who's still alive, but he's retired. And that's Henner Wolf Farrenbach. Okay. Who used John Green's statistical studies uh, to, um, 
to see if this thing would plot out like a bell curve, like a living right uh, species, or right. if it would be if the plots would be all over the place. And mm-hmm. what an interesting what an interesting guy, uh, Doctor Doctor Farenbach was. Is um, yeah, I can't say was. Although, right. like I said, he's been retired for many years now and off yeah. the field. Yeah, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why people would. I don't know why he would retire from this. But yeah, yeah. God, he's got to yeah. be up there in age now too. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's been, you know, like I said, I did this interview with John Green, uh, two thousand seven. So we're talking, you know, ten, you know, ten years, nineteen years ago, maybe. Twenty twenty two, yeah, at least fifteen. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, 15 years ago. So yeah. uh, it's just amazing how time flies. And 15 years, that was, you know, a couple of decades ago. And uh, it was nice to bring it back to life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, some of the honesty needs to come back into the, into the phenomenon, man. Really does. That kind of you know, objectiveness and, you know, cause you know, that's really what we want. I mean, yeah, some of us, you know, out there, not me, but you know, I'm always going to be, like I say, I don't, I'm not out to prove it to the world myself. I'm out to prove it to myself that what I saw was real now, uh, since I've had an encounter that I never expected. Don't think I'll probably ever have one like that again, but we want to get to the bottom of this, man. Yeah. I still uh, don't know what it is. No. I can describe what I saw, but I still cannot say with any authority what it I, was. I can just say what it wasn't. It wasn't a bear and it was not a, a homo sapien person like me or you. And it, it wasn't a jackalope either. It, no, it wasn't a jackalope. <laughs> So, uh, Raptor Crazy asked, uh, would I put up the video where I interview John Green? Well, unfortunately, it wasn't a video. This was back in the Blog Talk days. And that was actually uh, uh, Blog Talk at that, that particular point in time was in its infancy. So, um, it's amazing because uh, what I sounded like on, that, on my side asking the questions, uh, I kind of sounded like this, and uh, it sounded really, you know, it it, it was, it was it, you know, it was really horrible because you used to do it over the phone. Yeah. Um. This was before they even let you use Skype to do it, and then eventually they integrated Skype into Blog Talk Radio. Um. I was just amazed that I could get that audio on John Green's side to kind of crisp up and pop. Yeah. Um. And it would be funny because you'd hear John talking like this. Uh. It, you know, and that was always an issue with blog talk radio in, in the early days was sound quality. Yeah. Um, right? What I ended up doing was, was taking John Green's audio and then, you know, kind of uh, remastering it, uh, giving it a higher bit rate, being able to digitalize it and put it in stereo. Uh, blog talk was analog, <laughs> but here you hear them in stereo now. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I had to do a fair amount of, you know, pops, clicks, and hisses removal. And, um, you know, and, and not to mention there was a lot of times where, you know, John was up there in age when he did it, and he'd be like, oh, well, um, uh, uh, and uh, um, and I had to get rid of some of those too. So yeah. it, was, it was quite the process to uh, 
to get that that video um there and um you know there there was a few exchanges where we were talking back and forth but the problem was is that my audio was so bad that there really wasn't much i could do to peak it you know yeah. to, to help it <clears throat> so well, i think you did a good job with but, this but what i am going to do is eventually i will take all these video segments i will smush them together in in with a little bit of narration on my own part using uh y- you know using my new stuff and um we'll go from there yeah yeah oh yeah yeah among uh, many other issues that pl- that goes among other uh any issues that plague blog talk like you know dropping phone calls and dropping now <laughs> I, I gotta say tonight uh the issues were not on blog talk it was this keyboard and i got to up uh, oh is that another yes another one Ding, done um so uh, let's see what it's that uh, oh, there we go um so i you know i I, I wish I could do do more. I, I hope the header Farenbach one goes a little uh, just the same. I think it yeah. does because uh, Farenbach, I think, was done a little bit later in 2007, maybe even in 2008. So the, the, the sound quality improved over the years with Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we will uh, uh, we will see that going forward. But uh Cool. You know, I, I apologize, folks, for the delay of the show and some of the technical difficulties tonight. But um, all said and done, we got, you know, we kind of rushed through some of the, the clips, but we got through the program. And I will be posting uh, probably not this week, but probably next week, um, the compilation uh, of, of these clips with some narration, because uh, that's going to take some more time of me mine to uh, actually do. Um, plus I'm probably going to have a midweek one and I don't want to kind of, I want people to watch this program. <laughs> um, again, I'm sorry that, uh, it took a little bit of a delay. Uh, but we only, you know, we got on about what, 10, about 10 minutes late. And, uh, we, we chatted for about 20 minutes before we started. I think it was about nine 30. We got on topic. So nine, nine 30, nine 35, somewhere in there. So not, not too, too awful, but yeah, I was um, sweating it, man. I was like, oh. <clears throat> no, I, I I had a feeling I knew what the problem was. That's why I did it again the last time. I was like, hang on yeah. a second. Do you hear that? No. Yeah. Um, so there is something, um, and that's something I can talk to the StreamYard folks about. That why is that every time I hit a macro on my keyboard, it's shutting everything down. Um, so a little bit of work for me to do on my end, uh, which is too bad because you know I I have a, a soundboard now that I, I really want to use. So yeah. I'll fix it. If yeah. I fix it, um, I will. Uh, if I can't, uh, I'm getting the money back on the keyboard because yeah, I'm gonna plan B. Yeah, plan B. I'll, I'll figure something else out. Um. So, but uh, anyway, Joe, I want to thank you for filling in for Chris. Chris, we want to wish hey, you the best. Appreciate hope it. That, Chris, we want to hope you're getting better. Uh, so our love and our prayers to you to get a quick, healthy recovery. Um. God, I hope it's not the vid. Oh, me um, too. you know, so, um, you know, uh, geez, you know, he, he worries me when, when, when that happens. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, folks, uh, we will be back here next week, 9 PM Eastern. Uh, can y'all do me a solid. And that is, uh, you know, on the way out, way out the door, please hit the like button. 
Um, you know, like, share, and subscribe. I'm just going to scroll up one more quick time. Um, almost there. Um, let's see. <laughs> kind of lost some stuff here. Okay, so I lost my comments in the beginning of the show. But um, I'm going to scroll up here real quick. I'm going to lose those two. So, um, again, I want to thank everybody that's donated to this program. Um, it helps uh, pay for the platform. And uh, so far, we've got the platform paid for uh, about four or five months already. So we're not doing it for the year. So we're not doing too too shabby at all. So, and uh, folks uh, looking for the books, you should see them anytime now. So, yeah, I want to get book uh, two there of yours. So, uh, folks, on behalf of me and, uh, well, Joe, and uh, say goodnight, Joe. Goodnight, Joe. (laughs) Um, But uh, on behalf of me and for Chris Bennett, we want to wish everybody a healthy, happy, and safe week. Keep warm. It's been nasty weather out there for our New Englanders. Um, If you're not in New England, you know, uh, be thankful that you're not getting hit with this blizzard. But, uh, folks, we love you out there. We couldn't do this show without you. And uh, we love every one of you. And we'll catch you all here next week, 9 p.m. Eastern, SquatchDTV.com. goes right to the channel. We'll see you all here next week. Hey, folks, you've been watching Squatch DTV. Join us each week, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, for the latest on the Bigfoot mystery. As always, we thank you for being our loyal viewers and encourage all to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Steve Culls. As always, have a great week. Stay safe. God bless. And keep on squatching.